from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, and um, it's, uh, it's in the Old Testament. If you see Ezra, the book of Ezra, Nehemiah and Ezra are right there together. So you, it's right there in that neighborhood if you want to turn there. They will put the, screen, put the scriptures on screen. Um, but I'm going to preach from Nehemiah. Now, the interesting thing about Nehemiah, Nehemiah and Ezra were, are considered by the majority of theologians to be books together. Um, and Nehemiah is a book, uh, it was written and recorded as the, the last history, the last recorded history of Israel in the Old Testament. And so it's written so that people would remember the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem paralleled with their own spiritual restoration. And that was the purpose of this book, to show people and help them remember that the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem was also paralleling their own spiritual restoration, their own restoration of promises that God had made for them that he would be their God and they would be his people. And I want you to understand, before I I do anything else this morning, say anything else, understand this, and I want you to believe this with me. God is doing a spiritual restoration in the world right now. He's doing a work right now. I know when we look at media and we look at the news going on around us, it looks bad. I know that that's the only message that gets put out there. I mean, bad news is good news for the newsroom. And so that's what they put in front of us. We only see the bad things. And we can look around at culture, at the larger culture, and we can say, it's just getting so bad. And I won't deny that the world does wax worse and worse. It grows more into sin as we look around. People are doing more and more things that are all about self and not about uh, God and his kingdom. But at the same time, I want you to understand that there is a spiritual current in this world that God is working in and he is restoring some things in this world. We're starting to see some things, especially within Christianity. There is starting to be a divide between uh, what we would call church cultures, churches that are focused on having the Spirit of God move in their churches and in their lives, and then those that are kind of falling off and just accepting the world and sin as it is, and they find themselves going against what the Bible says, teaches, and preaches. And so you're starting to see this division, and it's not based along denominational lines. It's not based along, I don't care if you call yourself Baptist, Episcopal, Pentecostal, whatever it is, if it's not biblical and it's not the Spirit of God moving, then there's something wrong because our pursuit should be about God's perfect will, God's perfect truth, and doing that in this world. That's what it should be about. And God is doing this. He's restoring a revelation of biblical truth in this day and age. He's restoring the understanding of what a real new birth experience is. 
to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. I hear all the time of friends who meet pastors and they went from baptizing one way to baptizing in the name of Jesus because it became so apparent to them in Scripture. And I hear all the time of stories of entire churches that they had one kind of methodology of understanding Scripture and they move progressively toward understanding what God was speaking through Scripture that is, seems to be so clear sometimes. And they start to question, why, why is this what this says? But then whenever I look at our, our, our papers and our doctrines, it says something that has nothing to do with Scripture. People are starting to see that. And people's hunger for spiritual things and having a move of God is starting to rise to the top. A revelation of the oneness of God. A revelation of what it means to be holy and be modest before God. Those things are happening. Don't just think that's only in our church. And don't just think that it's only in a Pentecostal movement. It's not. We blind ourselves if we think that. Because God is working. He's working in this last day. There are some key spiritual insights that I want to draw to our attention today from Nehemiah. We're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to read verse 1 through verse 4. The title of my sermon today is, I was a cup bearer. And my goal, my vision for this service is to communicate to you again not only the vision of Branches Church, but also to cause us to move toward what commitment to the vision looks like. I was a cupbearer, Nehemiah 1 and 2. Now, last Sunday, I went a little bit deeper into the vision of the church, talked about some things, and if you're a member here, you weren't able to be here, you need to go online, go back to, go to the website, go to the media page, and listen to that sermon. Because these kind of book in together. I'm not going to take time to explain it all uh, today. I will touch some things that, that we're trying to make clear. So Nehemiah 1 and 1 says this, The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah, It came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. They're in great distress and reproach. He said, the fall of Jerusalem, or the wall of Jerusalem, is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was. When I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So understand, I'm just going to give you a brief history lesson real quick. The first captivity of Israel came in 722 B.C., and it was by the Assyrians. The Assyrians took them captive and basically controlled all of Israel. The Babylonian captivity, which was the second captivity, started in 586 B.C. Now, it was in 586 B.C. that the temple, Solomon's temple, was burned to the ground. 
the Babylonians understood that if they, they could eliminate the culture of worship that was in Israel, if they could do away with the temple, which represented the house of God, the dwelling place of God, then they could crush down and, and even take the Israel, the people of Israel, the Jews, and have them co-mingle into the culture and basically become Babylonians themselves. And so they wanted to steal their worship, so they burned the temple. In 539 B.C. is whenever the captivity of the Medo-Persian Empire started. And what we're reading, we're reading a time in this era. The Medo-Persian king Cyrus gave Jews to go back to Israel and to rebuild the temple. But now in 455 B.C., Nehemiah is writing, and he's writing what happens in that year, 455 B.C., Some of the Jews that were in captivity went back to Jerusalem and they built that temple. But the city is in disrepair. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned down. Uh, They're open to attack and the enemy can come in at any time whenever they want to, to pillage and to plunder. And so Hanani and others come from Jerusalem and as Nehemiah asked for a report of the people and the city, He says, these people, the people that are there that went back to build this temple, they're in great distress and reproach. The word reproach means they're being taunted by their enemies. They're being taunted. The enemies can come in at any time and do what they'd like to do. And they're powerless to stop them. They're powerless to do anything. They're being taunted by their enemies. He says, the walls are broken down. The gates are burned down. There is no safety. There's nothing there to protect the people. And so Nehemiah is distressed at hearing what is going on in Israel at the time. He's distressed by the situation in Jerusalem. Sure, worship has been restored and brought back, but there's no safety. The enemy comes and goes when they would like to. They're being taunted by the enemy. So Nehemiah sits down He begins to weep. And he says he mourned for days, for days, for days. He mourned and he wept. And he was moved so much that he was moved to prayer and to fasting over the situation that he'd not even seen. We're not talking about seeing the news media running a story. We're not talking about images that they brought back. We're talking about just some men who are traveling, who stopped and said, this is what is happening in Jerusalem. And he was so moved that for days he prayed and he fasted, he sacrificed and he mourned and he wept over what was going on in Jerusalem. When was the last time you were so moved that for days that something disturbed you? We all get disturbed things and go on social media and we'll post, pray for whatever hashtag. When is the last time something moved you for days? It disturbed your life. It moved your life. 
You could not clear it from your head. You couldn't get it off your heart. But you instead started to weep and to mourn. And you were so moved that you went without meals because you were fasting. And you prayed and you fasted because it just touched you so deeply that you could not move on. That you could not progress in life. It affected everything that was going on. It affected your ability to work. And people saw you and they wondered what's going on. Why are you looking the way you look? Because I'm disturbed it's what happened I'm disturbed at what's happening and what has happened that was Nehemiah Nehemiah was moved so much so that he prayed and he fasted and he couldn't let this thing go he just could not let it go verse 5 it says his prayer I prayed Lord God of heaven oh great and awesome God you who keep You who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I. Have sinned. Nehemiah's prayer in his moving, the thing that stirred his soul so much, it, it, it became something, not something that just happened over in Jerusalem, but it became this thing that became personal. It touched him personally. And so his prayer didn't just say, Lord, you help those people in Jerusalem. Forgive them, help them. But he started to say, Lord, I've sinned. I I need your help. He not only repented for others, began to repent for himself. And Nehemiah prays for days, moved and disturbed, so disturbed at the need that it affected his life, affected his work. The burden of his soul could not be dispersed with. He didn't just sit down and cry and weep over it and get up and go on, but he sat down and he wept and he mourned and he prayed and he fasted and he prayed over and over, God, forgive us, forgive my family, forgive all of those in Jerusalem, Lord. He was so moved burden of his soul began to flow in the other areas of his life. If there's anything that I see that is needed in today, it's more than just a touch of seeing the burden that's there, but it's to have the burden consume us that stirs our soul so much that we cannot do anything else that it affects us so much that we, we have to do something. We have to pray that prayer. We have to fast. We have to mourn. We have to weep. So Nehemiah chapter 2 records what happened after these days of prayer and fasting and weeping and mourning came to pass in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow 
of heart. The king could tell. It's not something that's going on in the back rooms that I don't see something. This is in your heart. This is something that's moved you deeply. There's a difference, and people can tell a difference between something that just has happened in life and something that has touched you so deep that it's pierced into your heart and the king could look at him and could see it. And he says, I became dreadful afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned fire. This is why I'm sad. Because the situation in the city has gotten to me. It stirred me. It's touched my heart. I moved. And now all of that stuff is just coming from my soul and my heart to what you see on my face. Now the king in that moment, he could have dismissed Nehemiah. He could have said, well, if you're so disturbed, why don't you get out of my presence until you can get it together? He could have said, go home, Nehemiah, take a day off. Get all the crying and weeping out of the way and then come back. But instead, the king asked Nehemiah, what's your request? Now understand, Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer. He's the one who takes the cup of the king. And when it's filled, he would taste to make sure that there was no poison, that the king would not die. And so any servant, and this is what we have to understand, any servant of the king had several requirements. They had to have a physical appearance that was attractive. They had to have a cheerful disposition. They had to have a smile and be happy all the time. Because the last thing you want as king is to have a bunch of unhappy servants serving you. You deal with unhappy people out there all the time. So when you're at your own table, you want everyone to be happy around you. So Nehemiah had to look happy, whether he was or he was not. And I'm sure Nehemiah figured out how to play that role. How we can go to work and kind of Shut the door on things that are happening at home. Put on the mask. Nehemiah had perfected it. But on this day, Nehemiah could not wear the mask. So the king says to him, what do you request? Notice what Nehemiah does when the king asks this. He doesn't just say, oh, king, do this, do that. And, you know, if we could, it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed. I immediately said, Lord. And we don't know what he prayed. It doesn't say what he prayed. It just says, I prayed to God of heaven. So Nehemiah again prays. And this time it's a simple prayer. It could have been, Lord, help me. Help me to convey what I need to say. Lord, give, give me the right guidance. Lord, let this go good. The king could kill me and remove me from my position and kill me. Nehemiah was the kind of person I think that most of us need to become. Not most of us, all of us. What am I saying? All of us need to become. He was a prayer first kind of guy. He prayed first. 
Nehemiah prayed. He prayed first. And verse 5 says, He said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. He doesn't say, King, would you send someone? He doesn't say, you know, King, you've got expert builders here. He didn't say, King, you've got engineers in your employee. King, if you, if you care about what I care about, if you'll put together an army to go surround Jerusalem and, and help them defend themselves as they rebuild the temple. He doesn't say any of that. He says, Lord, he said, King, if I found favor in your sight, if I've done the things I'm supposed to do, send me to the city of my fathers that I may rebuild it. Send me to rebuild it. He says, give me a letter for the governors of the region to let them permit me to pass through. He says, you give me a letter to the keeper of the king's forest that whenever I get there, I can get timber for the gates and for the city and for the place where I'm going to live. Give me all of the things that I need when I get there and I'm going to go. And here's the amazing thing. The king gave Nehemiah everything that he needed. The king gave Nehemiah everything that he needed. Now understand, Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He is not a builder. He is not a city engineer. He's not even a governor. He's not a mayor. He is just a cupbearer. He's the guy that's expendable. He's the one that can take a drink from a cup and one minute be enjoying some wine and the next minute be dead on the floor from poison. He is nothing. But he is so disturbed and moved by the situation of the city that he, whenever he has the opportunity, he says, I don't have the skills, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the talent, but if I found favor in your sight, if you'll send me and you'll equip me, I'll go to work in Jerusalem and I'll see that city rebuilt. I'll go back and I'll raise up the walls and I'll set up the gates and I'll do all that's needed to be done for that city. That's the kind of people God is looking for. Not the people that say, well, I, I'm, I'm not a builder. I don't have that talent. I don't have that skill. I'm not the one who should be doing that. What he's looking for is someone who's willing and says, if you'll give me what I need, I can go do it. If you'll give me what I need, I'll figure it out along the way, but I'll work to get that city up. I'll work to get the gates back in their place. I'll work to get those walls erected so that the enemy can't come in. That's what I'll do. If you'll just let me go, if you'll send me letters, commission me. Let me talk to us about the true church. A church today is often defined as a group that assembles together for the purpose of worship. That's what defines a church. Today, by us gathering together to worship, by most, we would be defined as a church. How many of us would say and admit that's what we've always thought a church is? I grew up thinking that. I grew up thinking, I went to church. I'm part of the church. Let me tell you what God's vision for the church is. 
It's not a group that assembles to worship on Sunday. It is a people who are equipped to do the work of the kingdom every day of their lives. It is a people who are anointed, who are chosen, who are set apart, who do things as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter if, Antonio, you're working on your houses that you're working on. You're doing it unto the Lord. He's equipped to do that. He is a builder. I need to have him come help me in my house. I don't have those talents and skills. Church is a people that's assembled together to do something greater than themselves, single person alone. And God has given his people everything that we need. Look at the person next to you and say, you think you're missing some things, but God has given you everything that you need. God has given you everything that you need, and he'll give you everything that you need. Think about all of the things that God has given to us. We needed redemption. He gave us a lamb. We needed salvation. And so he gave us a plan to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We needed an answer, and so he gave us his word. We needed to hear, and so he said, I'll give them a preacher. We needed a place, and so He gave us a body, the church, the body of the living Lord. That's what He gave us. He continues to give us everything that we need. You need healing, He'll give it to you. You need a miracle, He'll give it to you. You need something to happen in your family, He'll give it to you. He is a giving God. I'll look at someone and say this. Get ready. Pastor is about to get real, and this is going to sting. It's going to be a good sting. It's going to be the kind of sting that whenever you get cut, you put a little peroxide or rubbing alcohol, or Lord forbid, my wife, or my mom, not my wife, my mom, she used to use iodine. Whew, didn't sting, that burned. The Lord's vision for his people with giving his people everything that they need was not to be a house of entertainment. It's not why we're here. It was not to be a place where we sit on a pew. It was to be equipped. Ephesians 4.11, we always refer to this. He gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We refer to it as a five-fold ministry. And we usually stop there, but if you read on to the next verse, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. I ask you today, who's the minister? It's not me. It's us. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let me tell you what this all says, and I'll condense it down to something very simple. There are no such thing in the kingdom of God as simply people who are attenders at a church. That's not a thing. Attenders are not counted as saints. 
Saints are counted as ministers who work in the kingdom of God. Scripture does not say he himself gave some to be apostles, preachers, teachers, evangelists. He did not say any of those things and say for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the entertaining of those who attend services. That's never included. called to be more we're called to do more Nehemiah could have sat back and said I'm a cupbearer I am a cupbearer but if you go to verse 11 and you see what he says he says I was a cupbearer When I heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, when I saw the city and heard that the city was torn down and the gates were burned and the enemy was coming and going how he'd like to, I was a cupbearer when I heard that. But now I'm no longer a cupbearer. I'm a builder. I'm a contractor. I'm an engineer. I'm the guy that's going to go. And I may not have the ability. I may not understand what I need to do. But I'm going to that city. The king is furnishing me what I need. And I'm going to start working working he said I was I was I was I was a cupbearer but now God forgive us for being okay with just sitting in weekly services being entertained being encouraged being ministered to being equipped but not working in ministry god forgive us forgive us for not living up to what your body is supposed to be what we see exampled in the book of acts god forgive us because we were not called to be ministered to but we were called to be ministers All the excuses we bring. I'm not capable. I'm not ready. I don't have everything in line. I haven't fixed everything. I'm just a member. I'm just a saint. I'm just someone who attends. I call this home, but but I'm not yet engaged in everything. I'm uncertain about my place and where I belong. Or you say, I have problems and I have needs and I have things I've got to overcome. Guess what? Join the party. You have needs, join the party. You have problems, join the party. You want to know where the party starts? It's right here at the pulpit. That's where the party starts. Problems and needs hit every one of us. Failures and shortcomings are part of every one of our lives. But God has called us. God has equipped us. God has furnished us. The King of Kings has given you everything that you need to go to work in His kingdom. At some point, we have to get over ourselves. Problems are going to persist. Needs are going to continue. But what am I going to do that helps push his vision ahead for what the kingdom of heaven on earth is supposed to be? The king is giving you everything that you need. It's time to put the vision into action. You see, Nehemiah had something that many times we fail to grasp hold of. Nehemiah had commitment. Commitment is not just saying I'm committed to this or I'm committed to that. I was committed to losing weight last year. But I kept eating like I was not. This year, I'm still committed. I say I'm committed. And though I didn't eat like it yesterday, we went to a wedding, so I had some cake. 
was good cake too. I'm committed now. My commitment is borne out in pushing away some things I know my body does not need. And I, I praise God, I'm starting to see some results. You understand what I'm saying. Commitment is not just saying, you know, I'm committed to doing this. You can't say I'm committed to prayer every day if you don't take some time every day and pray. You can't say I'm committed to, to doing the things of God and knowing the things of God if you don't take some time and read the Bible. Because commitment, ultimately commitment is, commitment is action. It's more than just an agreement. It's more than just saying I agree. Commitment is sacrifice. Commitment is action. Commitment is work. Commitment does not watch from the sideline. And commitment does not wait for everything to be just right to jump in. And commitment does not wait for the work to be done and then enjoy what has been done. That is not commitment. Nehemiah His commitment was this. He let the vision for what God wanted, a restoration of a city, to affect his life. It impacted his work. It impacted what he was doing. It impacted every part of his life. He went and sat down somewhere and started to weep and mourn over it. He started to pray and fast. And he started to see that there was an opportunity. And when the opportunity opened up, he didn't just sit back and say, King, somebody needs to do something about this. He wasn't like Hananiah and the others that came walking by and said, yeah, we've got a report. You should see it. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's so bad. It's going so bad there. Those people are being taunted by the enemy and they're in distress and they're suffering. And then go on. Whenever the king said, what is your request? What do you want done? He said, send me. Send me. Equip me. And you know what they did whenever he got there? You can go on and read the story. I encourage you to read Nehemiah sometime. The enemy keeps coming and trying to fight against them. They weren't happy about what was going on. But they kept walk, working on the wall. And whenever the workers came to meet Nehemiah and said, Hey, we're, we keep getting attacked. We keep being attacked. The enemy keeps coming in. Nehemiah said, Okay. And they said, what, should we stop working and go fight? He said, no, you keep working. You put a sword in one hand and you get the trowel and the tool in the other and you keep building. And see, that's what we've got to understand. We've got to understand that in our life and we've got to understand that in this church is that the work never stops. You get a weapon in one hand and you keep fighting. You say, well, I've been under attack. It doesn't matter. You don't quit building spiritual things in your life. You say, well, the enemy's coming in and they're taunting me. It doesn't matter. Get a sword in the other hand. You keep building on your life. You keep building in your family. You keep building in the church. You just keep working. And when the enemy comes, you fight a little bit, but then as soon as they're gone, you don't chase after them. You just go back to work and you keep building because as soon as the wall gets up, the enemy can't get in. As soon as the gate is restored, the enemy can do nothing. And then all of a sudden, you've got the temple built, you've got the walls built, and you've got a free reign to worship whenever you want to worship, and the enemy can do nothing but stand outside and say, man, we'd have stopped it earlier. So 2020, this is what I'm calling for this church I'm calling for commitment. 
Get the vision of Branches Church. Lead people to a new birth experience. They want to know about baptism, tell them about baptism. They want to know about repentance, tell them about repentance. They want to know about Jesus Christ, tell them about Jesus Christ. They want to know whatever they want to know. You lead them to that new birth experience. They say, well, I'm a believer and I've been baptized, but I've never experienced being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking other tongues. You tell them about that. You tell them about your experience. You say, well, I'm not equipped. I don't know Scripture like you know Scripture. God will equip you. God's given you everything you need. The King of kings and Lord of lords has furnished you everything you need. And he sent you to this city. Buy into the vision. Branches is a diverse church. Every culture, every language. Oh, I pray for the day that we're having services in other languages in this church. Because there's people who don't speak English all the time. It's not their first language. Branches in every city, in every community, and neighborhood in metro Atlanta. And I know we talked about that last week. It seems so big. It seems so unattainable. I'm telling you, that's where we're going. That's what God is doing. That's what's going to happen. We're going to raise up ministries. We're going to raise up pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles. We're going to raise all of that up right here in this church. And right now what God is doing and establishing in Sewanee and in Gwinnett, God is doing a great work. Pray for that vision. Fast for that vision. Take it to your heart and your soul. This is what we're doing. And they get so committed that you take action. You say, well, I don't know what to do. What can I do? I, I want to help, but I don't know where to start. Talk with Shelly and I. We'll point you to areas that are open. We need help. Church needs help. Fight the battle. Get a sword in one hand, a spiritual sword. Start fighting and build with the other hand. Build at the same time and give to the vision. Give to the vision. I'm calling for some Nehemiah commitment. Nehemiah could have said, I'm not a builder. Verse 11, throw up verse 11, Nehemiah 1 and 11. He said, I, he could have said, I, I'm not a builder. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an apostle. I, I'm not, I, I don't have those things. I don't do those things. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have some of the skills other people have. I was the king's cupbearer. I was. But I'm not going to be any longer. Now I'm a builder. Now I'm a contractor for the Lord. I've been supplied. And now I'm building. I've been supplied. And now I'm building. You'll stand with me. God, forgive us, Lord, for being satisfied to simply attend. God, forgive us for just being satisfied with experiencing your blessings. I'm not using all of those blessings for your glory and for your kingdom. God, forgive us. God, help us. God, help us to be faithful stewards of the things you're putting in our hand. 
needs to be built in this city for your glory. Nehemiah, when he got to Jerusalem, he had some opposition. It was amazing. He had opposition from outside of Jerusalem. Go and read it. There were rulers and kings in that area, and they looked, and they were not happy. They weren't happy that Nehemiah had letters from the king saying, give him all the wood he needs. Let him do what he's come to do. Let him pass through. They weren't happy. There were also people in the city. Whenever he got there, they they said, what do you you think you're going to do? He went out and he'd go around and he'd survey and he'd look at the city and they'd say, "What what are you doing? There were already people had in their mind that this is just the way it is. It's the way it's always going to be. You're going to face that. You're going to have people that come. They're enemies of what you're doing in your life, in your home, and in this church. You're going to say, what are you doing that for? You're going to say, why don't you just accept the status quo? That's not how it really is anymore. It's, it's, this is how it is now. You're going to say, don't, why are you changing all of those things? Why are you doing this and that? And they're going to put subtle pressure on you, and then sometimes they're just going to attack you. Nehemiah faced all of that. But Nehemiah said, I was a cupbearer. But if you'll send me, if you'll give me and equip me all of the things I need, I'm going to go and I'm going to work. Nehemiah held his commitment. The same thing that made Nehemiah a great cupbearer commitment to do his job you've got to be committed to take a drink of wine and there might be poison in it he was trustworthy because Nehemiah could have put that wine to his lips feign drinking pretty easily could have acted like he took a drink handed it to the king. Things that make you who you are, God will take those same things and he will use those things, equipping you with the other things you need to make you everything he wants you to be in his kingdom. I wish somebody would say, I was a cupbearer. Now, was Paul in writing to the Corinthian church he names off a bunch of sins he says liars deceivers thieves effeminate names off all of these things he says those things will not inherit the kingdom of God the very next verse he says and such were some of you You see the enemy what he does is he tries to convince you and I 
that even though Jesus died for us, he shed his blood for us, and that we've experienced all that we've experienced in God, that we're the same thing we were, nothing is different. It's the greatest deception he puts in our lives. Paul said, such were some of you. I I used to be some things, but now I'm not. I'm not. Nehemiah said, I I was a cupbearer when I heard about the vision of what was going on. Now I'm not. God wants some people to step up and make a commitment. This year, I'm going to see 2020. I'm going to see it go through in the vision of Branches Church. I'm going to make it part of my life. I'm going to make the vision of what God is doing here part of my life. I'm going to make it part of what makes my 2020 great. I feel the Spirit of the Lord here so strong. I just I wonder if we could take a moment just have an altar call. If you're a guest here today, our custom is to to gather to the front. You don't have to do that with us. Church family, I wonder if you would come and you would join us at the front. God, help me to be committed. God, help me to understand what you've called me to a greater purpose than just attending and just being part of a church. But God, you've called me to do so much more in the kingdom, to be a minister. Not just to be an attender, but to be a minister. You've called me to step up and you're giving me the anointing and the equipping and everything that I need. God, I'm taking that commitment to the next level. I was a cupbearer, but now I'm going to be a builder. I was an attender, but now I'm going to be a minister. I was a supporter, but now I'm going to push the vision forward. I was silent, but now I'm going to be bold. I was. God, help us, Lord. confidence because